0: Today, as Christians throughout the world, there are people that are meeting today. They're meeting, and they're meeting in secret to avoid persecution. There are churches that are meeting, and they're underground. Uh, they're making sure that they check to see who comes to the door. And some are in jail cells today for being Christians. And, there are, and some are going to be killed today for their faith. You see, because as witnesses in this world, there's a different level of what persecution is coming and what things are coming upon us. And so we don't, you know, for us today and for other people throughout the world, but there is persecution for those that are, are, are Christians in the world today. And we as Christians today are seen as a unique group. We're kind of in a, our own uh, group of people, the, the Christians. And while there's still some reverence for things of the faith, people will say, God bless you after you sneeze. Okay, still a little reverence there. Sometimes they'll say, God and Jesus, and it's not so much reverence. So they still know who God and Jesus are, but it's not in the nicest way. Um, there's still some concepts of love and Christian charity, the Red Cross, uh, wishes for peace on earth every Christmas, and there. But there's a growing suspicion about Christians. We are seen as out of the mainstream, and even now, Christian chicken is suspect. Christian chicken. I didn't know that chickens could become Christians, but uh, there's a, uh, you know, if you know about the Chick-fil-A Corporation, they're owned by a group of Christians, and in the news in the last couple weeks, they've been denied permits to build their restaurants in two uh, airports because they're, they don't like what they say. They don't like that they're Christians, and so they're not even allowed to build their place. Even though people really like their chicken, and we were voting on the bus on the way back from Men's Advance yesterday, and if they ch- put a Chick-fil-A here, we would, well, we would all love to have that, okay? And I know a lot of my friends are like, well, hey, they make good chicken. But it's Christian chicken. So instantaneously, it's like, it's suspect. It's suspect because don't, doesn't a Christian own that? I mean, how does that happen? In our, in, you know, you can start to see the feel of that already. Increasingly, there's a marginalization of our Orthodox beliefs. Recently, the Methodist Church has been going through uh, a lot of issues with their church, and they were talking about our local Methodist Church, and there was in our local paper here. And of course, the only representation in the article was of people that did not believe with the Bible point of view, not people that did. It was the only representation there was, because those crazy people that were horrible on the other side that believe in the Bible, watch out for them. And so there's starting to be a little bit more of a marginalization here. With all of this, we have an opioid crisis. We have increased suicide rate to the fact that right now, for the first time in many, many years, the actual um, life expectancy in the United States is dropping. We have splintering families, other factors, and they're all calling out for an answer. The only answer that is going to change hearts and free people from what is hurting them And hurting our individuals and our our families is a transformation by Jesus who came to die for us and make us new creations. But at the same time, the the problem and the answer, people don't want to hear the answer. People don't want to hear about that. They just want to, they're like, oh, we're not sure about that. We're not sure that we want to hear about that. But at the same time, it's what they desperately need. The world is more hostile to Christians now than it has been for years, but the world is in more need of Christians than it ever has been. The world needs Jesus. When you see people sinning, it's because they're lost without Christ. When you see people hurting, when you see people addicted, when you see people stuck in in traps, it's because they're lost without Jesus. But when we go out today, I I talked about our invitations that we want to give. We want to invite people to church. We want to invite people to come to the faith. They may be openly hostile to you. They have been trained to watch out for you. Okay, they have been, I mean, we've gotten to a stage where there's somewhat of an open hostility towards Christians. But at the same time, they will grill you to mock you. But at the same time, they are looking for something real in their lives. They are looking for something that can transform them. And so they desperately need Jesus. We have Jesus to offer. We need to go out there, but we need to know that there's going to be a price to pay and that we are going to be witnessing in a hostile environment. And that we are going to be wit- witnessing under pressure. And that's what I want to talk about today. And if you go to Mark chapter 14, verses 53 to 72, we're going to see two stories. And Mark likes to write two stories at once, and he wants you to interpret them together. He's going he's to talk about Peter, and he's going to talk about Jesus. And both of them are on trial for their faith. Both of them are being asked, who are you, what do you represent? One of them is going to go well, one of them is not. And, all, and through this, when we're done with this, I want to give you some applications of what we can take into our lives through this. But let's just look at the text, Mark chapter 14, starting with verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, and, all, and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. have you no answer to make? What is, what is that that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and didn't, made no answer. And again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. And coming with the clouds of heaven, and the high priest tore his garment and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard this, his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death and some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him and saying to him prophesy and the guards received him with blows and as peter was below in the courtyard one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing peter warming himself she looked at him and said you are also were with the nazarene jesus but he denied it saying i neither know nor understand what you mean and he went out into the gateway and the ro- ro- rooster crowed and the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders this man is one of them and again he denied it and after a while while the bystanders again said to Peter certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear I do not know this man of whom you speak and immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus said to him before the rooster crows twice you will deny me three times and he broke down and wept So here we go. We have our two simultaneous stories. And we have to take ourselves back to the time period that this was being written. This book was written in in about the early 60s. Not the 1960s. I mean the literal 60s. 60. Okay? And it was written at this time. And the people that are reading this for the first time are seeing this guy rise up named Nero Caesar. And Tacitus is going to tell us about him. And in fact, um, he's going to be the one who, Nero is going to be the one who's going to kill Peter himself, who was the guy who was giving Mark all the information for the book. And there was a fire in Rome that's going to happen in the early, in the 19, or in 1964, I almost said it right there, 64. And there was a fire in Rome, and Nero blamed the Christians for it. He thought, I'll blame the Christians, because they're already hated for their abominations. And they, and they are, they are people with evil superstitions. So they're already there. He's like, who can I pin this on? Ooh, everybody hates those Christians. Let's pin it on them. So here we are, merely 30 years after Jesus was, and there are already people saying they're evil. They're horrible people. And Tacitus is going to say, those who confessed that they were Christians were arrested. And on the basis of their testimony, a great number were condemned, although not so much for the fire itself as for their hatred of humankind. In other words, they are being told, you hate people. And have you heard these claims today? It's it's interesting. There are people that tell Christians, you hate people. You hate people that aren't like yourself. You hate people that commit sin. Because you don't agree with them, you hate them. So it's just interesting when you read, I was reading this, uh, it just sounds like it could be written today. But this part, I hope, isn't written today. Before killing the Christians, Nero used them to amuse the people. Some were dressed in furs to be killed by dogs. Others were crucified. Still, others were set on fire early in the night so they might illuminate. Nero opened his garden for these shows. So here's Nero. So much hatred. So much hatred. And the people loved it because they said, oh, we know who to blame now. Oh, yeah, those Christians. We hate them. We hate them because they hate us. We hate them because they're not one of us. They're not they're people that we can accept. And Peter and Paul are going to be killed during this persecution. Peter is going to be crucified upside down. And Paul is going to be headed during this crucifixion. So right after Mark writes this, the first readers are going to be looking at this going, okay, this is real now. They're rounding us up. And on the basis of our testimony, notice what he says right there? On the basis of our testimony, they're asking, are you a Christian? If you say you are, you could be brought to Nero and put on fire in one of his parties, or dressed up and killed, or crucified, or beheaded. And it's real. And so for us today, we have a reality too. We have a reality that what our faith is, is going to affect how people look at us. You say you have a faith, you go to school tomorrow, Bemidji School District, they're going to look at you differently. You have a faith, you go to Bemidji State, they're going to look at you different. You have faith, whatever job you go to, wherever you're at, they're going to look at you different. And some, you know, people are going to say, you're different. You're not one of us. And you're one of those people who hate people. Or there'll be rumors about you that just don't make any sense. And you say, where does this come from? And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So let's just go through this story. So they lead Jesus to the high priest. And they're looking for something. It says right here in verse 53, they are looking for something um, that they could put him to death for. Uh, in 54, or 55, it actually talks a little bit more, they were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. In other words, do you understand what they're saying right here? You've all watched Law and Order or something like that. You hear that, dun-dun, okay? They don't take you to court. We don't have the police come today. I can't call the police and say, let's just grab one of the people here and then let's find somebody to make them guilty. That's what they were doing right here. They were taking him and then they're like, somebody find something we can nail this guy for. Can somebody come and say something bad about him? That's not, I mean, you can tell this is all a sham that they're doing. This is not good court. This is not, even their own system, it doesn't match up. But what's interesting about this, in verse 54, all of a sudden Mark interjects that Peter was there. So Peter, although he ran right away, He's following Jesus at a distance. So out of all the disciples, now we're going to pick on Peter a little bit today. And remember, Peter is the one who is telling Mark the story that's writing it today. But Peter is the only one that at least stayed around. So as mad as he's going to be, he's going to be there. He's right in the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting himself, warming at the fire, watching what's going on. And so what's going to happen is they're going to bring multiple people up to bear false witness against him. They're going to be in people and say, yeah, I saw that Christian. I heard, him do, or I heard Jesus do this. I saw Jesus do this. And they, the one thing that they tried to nail him on is he, we, we heard him say in verse 58, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build up another not made with hands. It says in verse 59, not even this, tes- not even this testimony did not agree. In other words, they couldn't even get that right. They say, okay, we need two people, because in Deuteronomy it says that we have to have two people that have the same testimony against this guy or we can't try him. Okay, you two, uh, you guys can't even get it right. Send another two in here. I could just see their frustration because they're trying to railroad him, but they can't even do it right, okay? And what's funny about this whole statement that they say right here that Mark records, they get half of it right. They're so messed up that they actually say something true because Jesus did say that the temple was going to be destroyed. Now, it's ridiculous to make the claim. If you've ever seen a picture of the temple, okay, if you've ever seen it, it's a huge temple made of bricks and stones, and they're saying, this one guy in three days is going to tear it down by himself. No. Okay, that's not going to happen. Okay, Jesus never said that was going to happen. He said He said it's going to happen in the future, and the Roman army did do it, in 6 years after Nero was there they did come down and tore down the whole temple and that's why if you go to Israel today there is no temple and but the thing that they said afterwards is there will be a new temple that will not be made with human hands and you know what the new temple is today the holy spirit is inside all Christians it says you are my temple and it says that the church is our temple We no longer have one place that we have to go sacrifice. Do you realize that every Jew had to come to the temple? No matter where you live, they had to come from wherever they were. They had to do their sacrifice right there. We are the church wherever we are today. So even when they were blasting him, they were saying the truth. It's kind of an interesting side note. And then the high priest is going to stand up and ask Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? In other words, I think Jesus is standing back going, I don't really need to answer because they're making fools of themselves on their own. Okay? And they're, but they're trying to get something that they can nail them on. But he remained silent and made no answer because Jesus was not going to answer their ridiculous claims. He's not going to say, you, said, Amy, you, what do you, you can't argue with somebody that doesn't say, tell the truth. Have you ever tried? you ever tried to somebody that's lying the entire time? It's just a waste of your time. Okay? The sky is orange. Don't argue with that person. Okay? You cannot convince him it's not orange. It's not orange. Uh, yes, it is. I know it's orange, and I will tell you, no, just go away. Have you ever talked to a flat earth person, person? a really convinced flat earth person? My son had somebody approach him um, and explain to him that the earth was flat and gave him all these explanations. It was somebody that should have known better. And my son just called me and goes, Dad, I just had the weirdest experience. (laughs) This guy has a college degree and is a flat earth guy and he's got it figured out what happens when you get to the end that that there's like a barrier, there's an ice barrier that stops you from falling off the end. I said, well, that's good news. Okay, it's good news (laughs) that you don't fall off the end. And he says he was talking about how the Bible says the earth is flat and there's corners and all this stuff and I said, you can't argue with that. Just pray for the man, say, God bless you, and read a book, or <laughs> look in the sky. You know, he was the other guy, then the moon landing was fake, the whole bit, because obviously you can't get to the moon if the earth is flat. It makes sense, right? Duh. Um, but, you know, you can't argue. So Jesus is silent right here. And this is the prophecy that was given in Isaiah 53 that we'll read at our Good Friday services every year. And it talks about the suffering servant, Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears, so he opened not his mouth. So in other words, he's just saying, you know, I can't answer this. I can't answer what they're saying. And then the high priest is going to get right in his face. And he's going to say, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now the whole time if we've been going through Mark, Jesus has been telling people, Don't tell people who I am. Don't tell them I'm the Messiah because they're all looking for a military Messiah. I heard a Jewish person talk about this the other day. They said, to this day, the Jewish people are looking for a military Messiah. Jewish people are still looking for that person to come in that's going to conquer everything. That's still the mentality. And Jesus doesn't want that. He doesn't want the false Messiah concept. Also, if Jesus would have said, I am the Messiah... People would have rose up and started following him and started doing crazy things. And if he would have done it, he probably would have been one of the most popular guys. He probably could have got some people voted out of office. He probably could have done this. Jesus says, wait. And when does Jesus now answer who he is? When he's in chains and he has absolutely no recourse. Isn't that interesting about Jesus? All the time that he could have done miraculous things, he could have called on angels anytime, he could have done this. But now he tells the truth he tells, he hasn't been lying, but he hasn't been telling people. He says, I am. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds in heaven. He says, I am who you were looking for. I am now going to explain to you who I am. I am the Son of Man that is described in Daniel 7. I am the one that's in Psalm 110. I am the one that you have been waiting for. I am that person. In fact, I will sit in the high places with God, in the right hand of God. I am that person. I am that person you're looking for, and you will see me high and lifted up. You will see me reigning in the clouds. And he uses the term son of man instead of Christ because they're trying to nail him for something, and he uses a different term, but he says he finally just lets it go. I am that person. And you know what this confession is going to get, Jesus? It's going to get him killed. He had the opportunity here to say, I don't want to say who I am. I don't want to say. But when he is on the line, when he says they need to know who I am, he tells them who he is. Now this high priest tore his garments. He said, what further witness do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him to death. See, the whole purpose here is to condemn him to death. The problem that they're having is they can't condemn him to death because they don't have the power to kill anybody because they're in a Roman province. So the whole next chapter we're going to talk about, they're trying to think of a charge that they can give to Pilate so Pilate will kill him for them. So they're still scheming. At this point, they're tearing their clothes. They're going, "Ah, this is terrible. But they still haven't found their scheme. And so then the next scene we see is they're spitting on him. And they're spitting on him and saying, prophesy for us. Tell us stuff if you're the Son of Man. Prophesy. And Jesus has to be thinking to himself, I just did. I told you exactly the truth. Prophesy means to speak for God. I just told you the truth. I've been prophesying from the moment I got here. And now you're spitting on me, hitting me, and telling me prophesy? He said, that's what I've been doing. And then you have Peter. Peter, we saw him watching this. And now Peter, so just to contrast again, Jesus confesses who he is to the point that he's going to be killed for. Jesus does not deny who he is to save himself. In fact, he gives them the very ammunition to kill him. Now, Peter, in verse 66, it says, Peter was below in the courtyard, and one of the servant girls come up to him, and they're saying to him, you are also with the Nazarene Jesus. You are also with that guy, and they even use kind of a derogatory term, like we would say, you're also with that Wisconsin person. Just put that in there, okay? You know, picking on our, if you're here from Wisconsin, we love Wisconsin. The reason we pick on Wisconsin is because it's basically like Minnesota. That's why I know some people, we're the same, but we like to pick on each other. Anyways, I'm off. Um, But he kind of threw that, they throw that in there, like you're one of those Nazarenes. Okay, that's a shot, just for the record. And you're with Jesus. So there's even a a dig at this. And it's in Servant Girl. What's a Servant Girl going to do? But Peter denies. He says, I neither uh, know you, know nor understand what you mean. He said, I don't even understand what you're talking about. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. So here's what happened. He moves further away from the fire. He goes, oh, I'm getting a little too close. They're recognizing me. He gets away from the fire. Now, we don't think about this, but if you've ever been in a situation where there's no electric lights, basically the fire is all the light you have. So he's trying to get away, going, maybe if I get further away, they'll not know who I am. Okay, And then what happens, you've got to see it right here, the rooster crowed. Because remember, Jesus told him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. So Jesus is giving him a warning right here. Notice he says the rooster's going to crow twice. He gives him the first warning. You may have had this happen before, okay, where you've been given a warning, maybe with your children, maybe when you were in school. I heard that a few times. John, if you don't stop talking, you're going to go to the principal's office. I know that's hard to believe, but sometimes John did not stop talking and had to go to the principal's office. But, you you know, he got the warning right here. You're on the wrong track. Hear the rooster. It's crowing, okay? Given a warning. And then this challenge number two is in verse 69. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. And again, he denied it. The same person follows him. And he says, you're one of them. You notice that term? That's such a derogatory term. You're one of them. You're one of those rabble-rousers. You're one of those people. Whatever that means. Okay? We all know who them is. Uh, them. But he, he, what this is saying is, you're one of those people that we are worried about. And, and he says, but he began, He first of all, he denies it. And then after a little while, they came and said to him, Certainly you are one of them. The whole crowd comes on him. For you are a Galilean. Again, another shot. Galilean is not a popular thing to say. Nazarene, Galilean, they speak different. They look different. They're not looked on very well by the Judeans. And he begins to evoke a curse on himself. And most Bible translations soften this up. Right here, he is cursing Jesus. He is, in fact, saying, no, I curse Jesus right here, right in front of you. He denies Jesus to the point of of cursing Jesus. And then the the rooster crows for a second time. And Peter remembers how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down, and he wept. And he wept. We don't see Peter for the rest of the book, except for one verse that's going to speak about him at the very end. But for the most part, Peter drops out. He's not at the crucifixion. He's not talked about He kind of drops out of sight. So what can we apply to this to our lives? You say, well, how does this apply? First of all, I think it's important to understand we are not of this world as Christians. You need to understand that when you step out, you are one of them. Okay, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be one of them. You're going to be with the Galilean, the Nazarene, whatever they want to talk about you. Certainly you're one of them. You're, You're that person. Jesus actually is one of them, but he's rejected by his people. He spoke of a heavenly kingdom, but he didn't give the crowd what they wanted. You're not going to give the crowd what they want. You're not going to do what the crowd wants you to do. They want to see you do certain things. You're not going to do that. You're gonna, if you do what God calls you to do and not the crowd, the crowd is not going to like you for it. Because Jesus provided food for everybody, what did he actually do bad for anybody? I mean, he is the one person in life that can honestly say, what did I do wrong? Because if any of us ever say, what did I do wrong? Don't, you don't want an answer to that, okay? If you're married and you go up to your wife and say, what did I do wrong? No, don't, no. You're going to get a true answer, okay? Because every one of us here has done something wrong. Jesus could literally say, what have I done wrong? And there is nothing. They had to make something up. Nobody has to make anything up about the rest of us but they do for him he came to save people and they tried him they spat on him, they taunted him okay and they spit on him and they say prophesy they're looking down so much they spit on him and they say uh, and the guards receive him uh, received him they start hitting him and, and punching him and i think with this concept of we are not of this world the world is going to give us abuse okay i want you to understand this Jesus is going to be not only killed for his faith. faith he is, or for who he is, he is going to be abused for his faith. They're going to try to kill him. They're going to spit on him, which is the ultimate insult at this time. They're going to punch him. They're going to whip him. And what are they going to do to the disciples? They're going to punch them. They're going to whip them. They're going to crucify him upside down. They're going to chop their heads off. Nero's going to feed him to his animals. I mean, they can see what's coming up for them. The taunts of the crowd to Peter, remember this, the Nazarenes. certainly you're one, you one of them, you're one of them. You're not one of us, you're one of them. Because everybody wants to be part of the crowd. It's easier to be part of the crowd, and we're not those people. And you know what? We're not called to be one of those people. And you know what? Your friends don't need you to be one of those people because they're better off if you're not. They may say it different. They may say different. I heard another story this week where at Men's Advance, uh, where we just were, where there was somebody who got mad at a missionary. Mad at a missionary. I've heard this example before. I heard from my business professor in college where he talked about the fact that um, when he got saved, he went and yelled at all of his old Christian friends. He says, you didn't tell me about Jesus. What's up with that? He says, you wanted me to go to hell? You didn't love me enough to tell me? What kind of friend are you? He said he just went around yelling at his friends. It wasn't very Christian-like, but he felt like doing it. And I heard this about a missionary now where he went and ministered to a Muslim person. And they said, where have you been? We've been waiting for somebody to tell us about Jesus. We've been waiting. What took you so long? Somebody needs to tell us about Jesus. Don't you understand? The world needs us to do this, but they're not always looking for it. They're not always going to accept it. But one of the times when somebody gets saved, one of the times that somebody came to you and you got saved... You actually were at the right time. The Holy Spirit had softened your heart. The seed had taken place and you were ready for, to receive the message. But you know what? Not all of us were nice to Christians that wanted to tell, tell us about Jesus. But that one person who got to do it. And we get to plant seeds and we get to be a part of that. But realize there are people that are desperately needing Christ. The Holy Spirit's working on them right now. We don't need to be part of this world. We need to be separate. The other thing we need to understand, it kind of goes with it, the opponents of the gospel are not always playing fair. I would say the chicken example would be a good one. I talk about that. How can chicken be Christian or not Christian? But the real reason for the hatred of Jesus was he was going to disturb the power and order in the world. They wanted to stay in charge. In other words, these Sanhedrin, all these religious leaders, all the people, they wanted to stay in charge. And if Jesus gets his way, they're not going to be in charge anymore. If Jesus brings the gospel and they all, people get saved, they no longer are in charge. And people want to stay in charge of their world, even if it's a messed up world. Even though, it's interesting, within 40 years, this whole council is going to be destroyed when the Romans come in and destroy it. If they would have accepted Jesus, they would have been saved. But they'd rather not be. And think about this. For many bore false witness against them. Understand the fact that people are going to lie about you. People are going to lie. One of the first claims that, Christi- that were made about Christians by the Romans, one of the first claims was that Christians, first of all, they're atheists because they don't have an idol. They're, uh, they're also, um, they eat people because they drink the blood and eat the flesh of Christ. Uh, they kill babies because we've never heard a ba- we've never seen a baby go into their meetings or as seen a baby come out, they must eat them while they're in there. Okay, there have been lies probably said about you. Well, you're a Christian. It means you hate people that, well, well when, today would be you hate somebody who's a homosexual, right? Because that's what Christians do. That's the number one thing I think that's floating around right now. Well, you hate people there. Oh, that person's an alcoholic. You must hate them as a Christian. That is spread out there. That's a lie. But remember, your opponents will lie because they're following the father of lies. They're going to lie. They've been doing it for years, and it's not going to stop. Rumors are going to be spread about you. Well, you know that person, what they do. You know what they're like. You know what Christians do. Fill in the blank. And yet even, they, they can't even get their testimony right. They're going to make up things that don't even make any sense, that don't even agree. They're trying to pin something on Jesus. They had no authority to kill Jesus, so they needed to make up thing they couldn't even hold a real trial because they did it at night this is against their own law they went against their own rules and i think a lot of people do this We're, it's okay to lie about a christian but that christian better not lie himself it's okay to pick on that person but don't let a christians can't pick on anybody else the dual standard that comes up and understand that this is the way it's going to be the next thing i think that's a little subtle thing in here no win not to say something there's sometimes, and Jesus kind of shows us here because I, I'm at the stage now, maybe, maybe I'm alone here, where I, I have tough time watching news shows where they, let's bring one person from this side and one person from this side, and then for a half hour, they're going to scream at each other. And you say to yourself, wow, was that entertaining. You know, if I want to see people scream at each other, I can go anywhere. But I don't really, you know, with a commercial break in between. But in other words, um, sometimes you need to just have a soft answer. One of the, my favorite guys is Ravi Zacharias. I don't know if, you've, if you look up, we have our, uh, our system we have here with, um, um, I'm blanking on it right now. Real, right Now Media, thank you. Right Now Media, you can look it up. You can be a member of that through our church. There's all kinds of Ravi Zacharias videos. People will come up and say, Christians are stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid. You know what Ravi does? I'm so thankful you came today. I'm so thankful. You know what God... And he just looks at the guy and I'm like, how does he do that? But that whole concept of don't jump back at him or don't... Sometimes just be quiet. You don't have to answer every charge. You, and, so, and be quiet and just be subtle about it. Even Jesus' final response is not loud and obnoxious and in their face. He just tells them the way that it is. And so we need to understand it. You don't need to answer and if you do, use... Very few words. You don't have to use all the words. And so I think it's just a great system how we should love. But there's one component that's going to happen here that I think we need to understand. Everybody here, as I've been talking, can probably think of a time when you should have held, held your faith. When you should have been the one who said, I'm standing up for Jesus. But instead you went along with the crowd but instead you were like Peter and said, no, I don't even like him. I don't even like those stupid Christians. Stupid Christians, I don't know. Jesus this, Jesus that. Okay, I'd rather be one of you. Maybe you went to camp. You got all psyched about Jesus if you were a kid. You came back home and everybody's like, well, oh, that was church camp. You're like, man, when I go back, I'm going to be the greatest believer of all time. I'm going to get all my friends saved. Glory to God. You come back. That oh, was church camp. Stupid. Okay. You come to church on Sunday. You hear a message. You say, "I'm going to be a believer for Christ." Hey, goody two shoes Christian guy. I'm not that. Okay, we just jump right out of it, and we've done that. And we're like, oh, I don't. I mean, thank God, God doesn't have roosters everywhere. I mean, for all of us, because you know, we'd all. Okay, but we've all done it. We have all not stood up for our faith, and what I want you to know is there is forgiveness and restoration. If and I put win in parentheses because I think win might be more often when you fail. Because here Peter, you know what Peter does? He curses Jesus. He doesn't just say I don't know him. He curses Jesus. He does one of the worst things you can possibly do. In fact, the Roman government, their system that we were talking about, their system to find out who was a Christian and who was not, they would come up to somebody, they would pull them into the—I don't know if that where their chambers were. I'm just putting it in my head. They'd have a Roman guard pointing a spear at you, and they would say, curse Jesus. And if you wouldn't curse Jesus, that meant you were a Christian. Because according to the Roman historians, no true Christian will ever curse Jesus. Well, you know who cursed Jesus? Peter. The guy who is basically one of the leaders of the church. And here he is, looking pretty bad. And what happens with Peter? You know, there's two people who fail pretty badly right here. Peter and Judas. What's the difference? We don't ever hear from Judas again, except for the fact when he kills himself, when he throws the money back. But Peter becomes one of the leaders of the church. In Mark, the next time we hear of Peter, this is the next time, I can't even imagine this. Mark sixteen 7, we'll talk about this on Easter Sunday. It says, but go, the angel says, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. In other words, the first thing the angel says is, tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter's like, in other words, I still got faith in you, Peter. Something happened with Peter. He confessed. The fact that he wept, it says he covered himself. He broke down. He confessed his sin before Christ. He said, God, I failed. What is the next thing we see after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost? This same man who couldn't stand up to a servant girl is preaching and 3,000 people are saved. Something happens in this man. He failed. He's a failure. He cursed Jesus. Does that mean he's a failure for life? No. He also became the, the church as a whole one of the main leaders. Peter and Paul are two of the main leaders. Peter is one of the major sources of the story we just read. And he's going to write two epistles himself. In other words, God is not done with you if you have failed in your faith. In fact, God wants you to learn. Peter, I'm impressed by this. I'm thinking, Peter has learned so much from this experience. Could you imagine him trying to tell Mark about this, to write it down? Uh, Can you make me look a little better there? Ooh, I look really bad there. Can you make it look like I, uh, I tried, but I just... No, Peter says, you need to let him know exactly what I did. Because he has learned his lesson and he has learned there is forgiveness, there is restoration, and there is hope if you have failed Christ. One of the most important things we do. If you have, if you have said something, if you have failed in your Christian witness and you say, I failed at work. I hit my, I hit my f- finger with a hammer and boy, did I let some curses up. Boy, did I let everything go. I'm, everybody in the work is going to think I'm horrible. You know what? God forgives you. And if you tell people you want to be forgiven, they'll forgive you, and God wants to use that even method to bring God. Why don't you stand with me today? Our prayer ministers can come forward. If you're here today, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never made him the master of your life, you are like the Sanhedrin here. You're like uh, the crowd. You'd rather pick on the, them. You're, maybe you're here going... I don't even know why I got here. This seems kind of weird. But Jesus came and he died for you. Jesus came and he died for you so you can be set free. You can be put on a path that is higher than any path you can have. Your sins, your guilt, everybody here has guilt in their life. Everybody everybody has failed. Peter shows us the biggest example. I think he sets himself up to say, look, if I failed and God still loves me, he loves you too. And he loves you here today and he wants to forgive you for your sins he wants to come into your life and make you a new creation if you want to make that commitment today come and talk to one of our prayer ministers just come and talk to them today also if you have a need in your life i want you to come and talk to them any need that you have that you want someone to pray with you about because we believe that but for everybody else here we are on a mission christ has sent us on a mission. In the Great Commission, he says, go and make the disciples of all the nations. He says, and I am with you always. And then he says in Acts 1.8, he says, you will be my witnesses through all the world, and I will give you power to do it. But God has sent us on a mission. And your witness, though, is in hostile territory. This territory, the Bible talks about that the, the, the devil of this world, the spirit of this world is against us. The same spirit that was against Jesus, the same spirit that was against Peter is against us today. But you know what? We can do it by the strength of God, by the example of what Jesus has shown us, by the fact that he died for us, the, back, the fact that uh, when we, we know these things and we can take this gospel out because people desperately need to know what to do. They need to know who to follow and they need to follow Jesus Christ. So I just want us to make a commitment today that we're going to say, God, I can't do it on my own. Because you notice those two verses where he gives us the the commands? He says, I'm with you always, and my power of my Holy Spirit is with you always. He's going to be with you the entire time. But you're the one he's going to use to reach your friends. You're the one he's going to use to reach the people at your work. You're the one he's going to use to reach your family. Pray for opportunities. Say, God, I realize the world is against us. I understand the lies. I'm going to stand up to them like you did. Say the truth, but not go blasting in their face. Lord, I'm going to understand that they're dishonest, but that's okay. I'm going to understand that they're following the father of lies. And Lord, I'm, it's okay if I fail. I know that you're going to restore me and bring me back up. But God, help me to say the right words. Help me to say the perfect words like Jesus did. Inspire me to say the right thing that has to be said at the right time. And when we do this, we can see people's lives change forever. Lord, I thank you today. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you, Jesus, today that you died on the cross for us. God, right here, you could have just walked out and said, "I'm, I'm done with this. But you said, I will take the abuse. And Lord, you want us today to understand that to be a Christian is to sometimes take abuse for you just like you did. But you showed us the example, God, that when we live for you, that there are going to be people that don't like it. There are going to be people that are going to, that, that are going to spit on us, maybe literally or figuratively, God. But God, you took it because you love them enough and let us love people, let us have your spirit. And Lord, for all the times that we've failed you in the past, restore us. For all the times, God, that we haven't done what is right, forgive us. But God, give us the power and the Spirit now to go into this world and live a a life of faith, a life that is worthy of your calling, a life that will bring others to you, Jesus. Like you drew people in when you were on the cross, God, let us draw people in today by the Spirit flowing through us. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.